Well, good morning, West Campus. How you guys doing this morning? Hey, before we get started, I just want to warn you, some people have called this my long sermon. So uh, just <laughs> sit back, get comfortable. I was waiting for somebody to say, make it shorter. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's good to be here with you guys today. I always love coming to the West Campus for so many reasons. I always get a smile on my face. I, what you guys are doing here on the West Side is so good. Um, and, and it reminds me uh, so much of the church that we came from in Rhode Island. It was a church plant. We met in a movie theater. And I just love the idea of a church that, that gathers in a location just to worship and then scatters. And I think it really represents, and it's a great reminder that you guys get on the west side that none of the other campuses get, is that the church is not a building, right? The church is not a building. The only thing that makes this bar a church is when we gather here on Sunday mornings. And it's, it, you guys get a reminder. Yeah, we can celebrate that. You guys get a reminder every single week here that, that the rest of us don't get, that we gather to scatter, that we gather here, we worship, and then we go and we be the church outside of these walls. And so don't take that lightly. Don't feel like your identity is anything less. In fact, to me, I think it is something more that you guys meet in this temporary location. So keep being faithful to God. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to a couple of different places. First place is Luke chapter 18, verse 16. If you have a Bible app on your device that you like to use, pull that out. If you have the analog version, then you can flip to Luke 18, 16, put one finger there, and then flip a little bit further to the right to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. So Luke 18, 16, and 1 Corinthians 13, 11. I appreciate our coaches up there this morning giving us some life advice and some encouragement. Um, this is a big week. IU starts back this week, and as all of this has been happening, it has made me look back on my college days that are getting further and further and further in the rearview mirror. But it's, it's made me miss and appreciate the friendships that I had, my roommates, most of them. Uh, I, you know, the joy of eating cafeteria food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, all of the, the full college experience. I just, I appreciate it so much. But one of the things that I most appreciated about college was something that my humanities professor would stand up at the beginning of each semester and say. And, it, and this really stuck with me. He said, my job is not to teach you what you need to know. It's not just to teach you information. My job is to teach you how to be a student for the rest of your life. And some of my classmates, I think, took that quite literally because they still have not graduated. They're still in school. They just continue to go back for more and more. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I don't think that's what he meant. I think that what he meant is that he, he saw his job to teach us how to be curious for the rest of our life, to teach us how to always ask questions, to never stop pursuing information and knowledge, to never get to this place where we go, you know, I think I know all that I need to know about the world that I live in, and I'm just going to put the pause on it and just stop my growth right here. He taught us how to be curious. And as a person who is naturally curious, uh, I really appreciated that. For as long as I remember, I have been a curious person from when I would go and ask my parents, you know, the why question over and over and over. I've been a curious person to now driving my wife crazy when I ponder things out loud that I'm convinced she thinks normal people don't think about, but I cannot get them out of my mind. I have always been a curious person. And typically that's been a really good thing in my life. 
usually that is, is something that I value and that I kind of take a little bit of pride in myself. Sometimes that leads to some danger, like when, you know, I'm a little kid and I'm breaking something down just to see if I can put it back together. And then I realize, no, I can't. And so I take whatever that thing was and go, um, dad, here is this. Good luck. Uh, I'm just going to walk over here. Uh, two, you know, other times in my life, I remember there was a time in college when uh, our class was going on a field trip. We were heading up to the Field Museum in Chicago. And it was a very large class, and so it took three of those large charter buses to get all of us from Lincoln, Illinois, up to Chicago. And about 30 minutes into the trip, I looked up and I saw this bright orange button that said, do not push, <laughs> which for a curious person is like putting a plate of cookies in front of my four and five-year-old and saying, hey, don't eat these cookies. Like, it's not a matter of if I was going to push that button, it was a matter of when I was going to push that button. And it didn't take long. Um, after some encouragement from my friends, uh, I looked up at the button, I pushed it, and then immediately put my head down. And what happened was an alarm started going off inside of the bus. And I thought, oh, great. Oh, man, what did I do? And I, I figured, well, the bus driver is just going to be able to reach down, push a button, and make the alarm stop. But I was wrong. He could not do that. And so in the middle of Interstate 55, somewhere between Lincoln and Chicago, all three of the buses pulled over to the side of the road. Our bus driver stood up, looked back, said, who pushed the button? I have my head down. All of my friends are looking at me. And I'm like, oh, great. Why did I push the button? Poor guy has to walk outside of the bus lift up the cargo door, push something inside of there. Finally, the alarm stopped. He, he got back in and said, don't push the buttons, and away we went. <laughs> One of my buddies who was uh, sitting next to me encouraging me to do this uh, was later a groomsman in our wedding, and his wedding gift to us was a small box. I was like, oh, I wonder what's inside this box. And I opened it up, and it was a doorbell with a Post-it note on it that said, do not push this button. <laughs> so I'm like immediately just starting to push the button to see what happens. But like, that's the motto of a curious person. The motto is, you never know until you try. <laughs> you never know until you ask. You never know until you experience. Some of the coolest things that I've ever experienced in my life started with the phrase, I wonder what happens if. One of those times was about 10 years ago, uh, while I was leading a, a middle school ministry in Owensboro, Kentucky. Uh, we were doing a series that tackled some of the difficult questions that students had about faith and about life. And you may not know it unless you have a middle schooler or have had a middle schooler, but middle schoolers can ask some pretty deep stuff. And like they had some really legitimate questions. And so we spent a few weeks really tackling those questions. And then me and a buddy realized, wow, this is middle schooler. So we need to lighten this up just a little bit and, and not be so serious. And so we decided to ask some of our own questions. Like, I wonder what it would look like uh, with watermelons dropping off the top of a 25-foot man lift. Uh, when they hit the ground. I, I wonder what would happen if uh, we threw a can of Coke, maybe a full 12-pack of Cokes, all the way to, I wonder what would happen if we threw a two-liter of Diet Pepsi off of the top of this man lift. So one day we went out, we put the man lift all the way up in the parking lot, and we just started to videotape ourselves throwing various things off the top. And we had a splatter cam down on the bottom so that we could really capture that moment of impact. And we were having fun, everything was going well, but then we got to the two liter of Diet Pepsi, and this happened. I love that video so much. <laughs> Every time I watch that video, it makes me laugh. And I'm always amazed, one, that a, bottle, a two liter of Diet Pepsi would take off like a rocket like that. But then two, my buddy Jason's camera work to be able to stay with that the entire time because we had no idea that was what was going to happen. But that's the beauty of curiosity. You never know. 
And, and, and to me, and I think this is kind of the point, to me, curiosity is good. Curiosity is good. And, and I think that a lot of times curiosity gets a bad rap, not just in life, but I think especially in the church. Um, most churches, most Christians don't really value curiosity. It, it's a scary thing. You know, people are quick to remind us curiosity killed the cat. And as somebody once said, yeah, but it also cured polio. <laughs> like, curiosity sometimes can lead us down some dangerous paths, but it can also be a very good and beautiful thing. Curiosity opens our mind to a God and a world that is bigger than our finite minds can even begin to understand. Curiosity keeps us from becoming simplistic legalists who think that we have God all figured out and that we've put him in this nice clean little box that feels safe and secure to us. It keeps us from, from labeling things into two categories as either good or bad. I think that to be a vibrant Christian means that we are curious Christians. That the more that we discover of God, the more truth that we will embody and reflect. And the more truth that we embody and reflect, the more that we will be able to see truth and beauty in things that we may have missed it in otherwise, in other parts of creation, in other cultures in unfamiliar circumstances, and new relationships. All of these things help become more beautiful to us when we are curious. They help us find value in things that maybe we would have written off too soon otherwise. And I think that our knee-jerk reaction as humans is to label anything that is unfamiliar as bad. Like, I don't have a context for this. I don't have a category for this in my life. This is new. This is unfamiliar. This is different than what I'm used to. And so we either, at worst, we label it bad, but at the very least, we oftentimes are skeptical of these things. But I think that godly curiosity doesn't do that. Godly curiosity balances realistic expectations that, yes, we live in a sinful, fallen world. Not everything is good. Not everything is beautiful. But some things are. And we need to be open to find the beauty and the value in those things. And when we take this view, the new things become exciting and full of possibility. Questions aren't seen as something to be feared. That is a way to gain greater understanding and depth in our faith. I think that in curiosity, we become who God designed us to be. We, we understand him and his truth the way that he desires us to understand it more fully, more deeply, more richly. I don't think that we can care for God's creation or his people the way that we desire if we lack curiosity. And so for that, curiosity should not be feared. It should be celebrated. And yet for so many people, it is the former rather than the latter. People oftentimes are afraid of curiosity because asking questions about our faith might start poking holes and deconstruct this nice, clean little foundation that we've built our faith on. And if we start poking holes and asking questions and we're afraid the whole thing might just blow up. And for a lot of people, that's scary. But there's a certain segment in our population that is not afraid to ask questions, and that's kids. <laughs> in fact, in the first service, it was great. Right as I was getting to this point, all of the kids were shouting and screaming. We're like, yeah, kids, right? We know kids are not afraid of anything. They're not afraid of asking questions. They're not afraid of asking why. Kids are naturally curious. I can't tell you how many times a day our four and five-year-old will come up to me and say, Daddy, why? 
why this? Why that? Why this? Why? I mean, all day. It's just why after why after why. And, and some of their questions, I have no idea how to answer. There are times when they'll ask one of us a question, and my wife and I will look at each other, and, and we just say, I'm going to let you take that one. And whoever gets that out first is the winner, because the other one has to answer <laughs> the question. But I love it. Like, I love how curious my girls are. And it's one thing that I actually pray for them regularly, that they never lose their curiosity. They never stop asking bold questions and seeking answers, that they never let the world's definition of maturity keep them from being curious. See, in the minds of most people, maturity means smothering childhood with responsibilities and ambition and adulthood. It means being focused and productive and making a difference in the world. The, the world says that all things silly and lighthearted and fun are immature and that maturity means that we need to be serious and make big decisions and have all of this fiscal management. And, and some of that is true to an extent. Maturity absolutely does mean responsibility, but it doesn't mean that we have to lose our childlike sense of curiosity and wonder at the world around us. And I think Paul and Jesus would agree Look at our text with me. I want to start in Luke chapter 18, verse 16. Actually, I want to go back just one verse to 15, and then we'll catch up to verse 16. Luke writes, People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And don't miss what he says in verse 17. This is so important to us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. I think in this passage, Jesus is showing us a couple of things that are, are really important for us to not miss. Number one, he's showing us that children are valuable in the kingdom of God. Children are valuable in the kingdom of God. They are not an afterthought. They are valuable. Which means that what is happening right here in these rooms across the campus right now as children are being poured into, this is not babysitting that's happening. This is children's ministry that is happening. It means that this is not the church of tomorrow. It means that they are just as valuable as the church of today as any of us are. Children are valuable to Jesus. They're valuable to us. I think the second thing that Jesus is saying here is that if we want to fully experience and receive the kingdom of God in our own lives, then we need to come to him as a child. I believe part of that means that we stay curious, even in our faith, that our goal is to always have a childlike faith in our heavenly Father. But then later in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul seems to contradict this. This is what he writes. He says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, so there's a, there's a, there's a difference here. There's a line that's been drawn. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, at first glance, it seems like Paul may be agreeing with our culture and our world's definition of maturity and contradicts 
Jesus. He's saying, when I was young, I did childish things, but then I grew up and I put those things behind me. In other words, he's saying, I stopped acting like a child. And, and the cynic or the skeptic might look at this and say, well, see, there's just yet another example of how the Bible contradicts itself. But the curious person would say, why? Why does Jesus say we must have like childlike faith, but Paul seems to imply that we must grow up and be mature? And I think that the answer comes down to one little suffix at the end of the word. There is a difference, there is a big difference, I would say, between being childlike and being childish. There is a big difference between being childlike and being childish. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about putting the, away the things in our life and in our faith that are childish. In this context, this is the, the love chapter that oftentimes we hear read at, at weddings. In, in, this, in this context of this love chapter, he's talking about love not being simplistic or shallow, but about it growing deeper and, and richer and more beautiful. He's, he's talking about from a faith perspective, growing up from the ways children talk and reason and process information. And if you've spent any time around children lately, you know it doesn't take much for conversations to digress to farts and butts and all of that. Like, Paul's saying, we grow out of that. <laughs> we do mature. We, we come out of our childish behavior. But Jesus, on the other hand, praises the aspect of childlikeness that would humbly and excitedly and wondrously welcome his kingdom into our lives. Paul and Jesus are teaching two sides of the same coin. Paul is saying that spiritual maturity means growing out of those aspects of childishness that is selfish and unaware of others and the world around us. Jesus is saying that childlike faith never loses its sense of awe and wonder. And I'm telling you, I know way too many Christians that have lost their sense of awe and wonder in this world, in each other, and in God. I think it breaks God's heart. So as we close, I just want to give three quick reasons why I believe that curious is so beneficial to our faith. The first reason is curiosity deepens our relationship with God. I believe that curiosity deepens our relationship with God. Really, curiosity deepens any relationship that you're in. If you ever get to a place in a relationship where you feel like you have that other person figured out, I think that that immediately becomes the stunt to the growth of that relationship. And so especially with our creator. Curiosity drives us to understand God more, to learn more of his beauty and his grace, and not just to know it up here, but to experience it in our lives. Curiosity in our relationship with God means that we're curious to take that step of faith that we feel God is calling us to, not because we know what's going to happen on the other side, but because we don't. We're curious to find out how God's going to come through as we take that step of faith. Curiosity leads us to discover aspects of his character and his love that will raise our affections for him. It helps us to overcome our preconceptions of God that oftentimes lead to us misunderstanding who God is. I actually see this all the time when I'm talking with, with non-believers. We'll, we'll get into a spiritual conversation and they'll start talking about what they believe God is like. And it's very quick to see that they have no idea what we believe or what the Bible teaches about who God is and what God is like. And, and I'm left oftentimes in those conversations, the only way that I can reply is, yeah, I wouldn't want to believe in a God like that either. But that's not who he is. 
And it breaks my heart because I think if they would just have a little bit more spiritual curiosity, then they'd realize that their legalistic view of God isn't who he is. But I'm telling you, that's not just non-believers. That's in the church as well. When we put God in this box, oftentimes the box that we create is very legalistic, is very works-driven. And God wants to bust out of that box and show us and allow us to experience his grace. So curiosity enlarges God in our minds and it helps us see with greater clarity his love and his purpose and his plan. And as we understand and we experience all of those things more, then we fall into a deeper love relationship with the God who desires so much to be in relationship with you. Second, curiosity deepens relationships within the church. I believe that the church is a more loving and caring place when it's filled with curious people. And people who take time to ask questions and understand the burdens that others are carrying. In a church filled with curious people, tension and infighting would diminish because we'd be curious enough to understand where someone else is coming from instead of just assuming we know, which always creates drama and conflict. <laughs> but I'm sure there's no drama or conflict in this church. Um, <laughs> there's in every church because I think we've so often lost our curiosity with one another. And we just assume. So I think that a, a curious church would move toward being more diverse, more diverse racially, more diverse socioeconomically, more diverse educationally, because people would be deeply interested in those who are different from themselves instead of being afraid or intimidated by them. And if the world ever needed to see the church get this right in our society, it is now. Let me tell you, the events that happened last week only serve to magnify the racial tension that exists in our country. And so often that is projected onto the church and onto God. And, and sometimes it's projected onto us because the people of God and the people within the church hold on to some of these beliefs. And I just want to tell you as clearly as I can, if you find yourself on the side of those neo-Nazis and white supremacists, not only are you on the wrong side of history, you are on the wrong side of faith. Amen. God does not stand for that. And that does not reflect the heart of a father, a father who created us to be like him, who created us in his image. And in that, all of us have value. Not just the people who look like you, who act like you, who are in your class, all people have value in God. And so as a church, we want to continue to be curious in that. As a church, we want to stand alongside of our brothers and sisters of different races and nationalities and say that you are not alone. You are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are for you. Hmm. So a curious church. I believe is a better church. Have deeper Bible studies, more pointed questions. Curious counseling ministry will search for the best answers, not just the easiest. Curious outreach ministry would look for new ways to partner in the community to make a difference in the lives of others by pointing them to Jesus. And curious church would help others find their way back to God instead of bickering about things that really don't matter. So curiosity deepens relationships within the church. Finally, curiosity gives us room to doubt towards faith. The truth is, we all have questions about God. 
And, and, and sometimes we might be afraid to ask those questions because we're afraid of what that might reveal about us. We're afraid of what others might think of us if we ask those questions. If I'm honest with you, this is a big one for me. I've struggled with doubt from time to time through my walk with Christ and even while being in the ministry. And, and so what I've allowed Satan to do is whisper to me, oh, you can't ask that. People might think poorly of you. You've got to be an example of faith and and when, whenever I allow those unanswered questions to just stew around in my mind, I find that they become roadblocks to my spiritual growth and development. And I think that when we are bold enough to ask those questions that we have, it helps us not to, not to doubt away from faith, but to actually doubt towards faith. Over the last few months, we've uh, had a couple of spiritual discovery groups meeting at Sherwood Oaks Christian Church, and I love these groups. They are so cool because they are not filled with people who are believers. They're not filled with people who are trying to grow in their relationship with God or learn more about what the Bible says and how to apply it in their life. These groups are filled with skeptics and doubters who are just curious enough to know more about Christianity. And so our group leaders know that their job is not to sit everyone down and say, okay, now listen, because this is what we believe about faith and we need to straighten your beliefs out. That's not what they do. They know that their job is to give people space to ask questions that they have about Christianity in, in, in ways that they've never felt comfortable doing before. And one of the leaders told me a couple of weeks ago, it's so cool because they just keep coming back. <laughs> These groups have been meeting for a couple of months, and people just continue to come back. Some of them are bringing their friends, saying, come, you've got to be a part of this. This is amazing. I've never been a part of something like this before, because they have a safe place to ask questions. And what we're finding is that when you give people the opportunity to ask questions that have been roadblocks in their mind for so long, you give them the opportunity to doubt towards faith, to doubt towards faith. And that's what curiosity does. It plows through the roadblocks of unasked questions and it allows us to doubt towards God and his truth instead of towards skepticism and unbelief. Doubt is good because it raises questions and asking questions is how we learn. I believe that curiosity cannot exist without questions and I also believe that neither can faith. And so that's why we're doing this series called Curious. All of this was just a really big ramp up to what we're going to be doing next week. We want Sherwood Oaks to be a curious church, and I know that that means a couple of different things, and yes, that could mean uh, people might look at us and go, that's curious, a church that meets in a bar. Uh, that's all right. I'm okay with that if, if you are. We can be a curious church, but that's not fully what I mean. We want Sherwood Oaks to be a church that is not afraid of asking questions. It's not afraid when we go through those periods and those seasons of doubt, because we want to wrestle through those things together. We value that. And so over the next few weeks, we are going to be looking at some of the questions that, that those of you in our congregation have submitted to us, questions that when I read through them, I can't help but notice that they were so deeply rooted in personal struggles and fear. Some of the questions made me just want to reach through and give the person a hug and say, thanks for being so brave and so curious enough to ask this question. And so we're going to tackle some of these questions in the coming weeks, the ones that we don't have an opportunity to get to. We are creating a page on our website that's going to kind of respond. Not, and here's the thing that we need to know. Just in life and in faith, we need to understand that not all questions have a, have a clean answer to them. Um, sometimes we can just respond to it. Uh, but that has to be okay, too. 
We need to get back to the value of having long conversations about something, not short, trite answers that we can put in our pocket and pull out as ammunition later. We need to value long conversations where we wrestle through things together. That could be another sermon in its own, so I'll stop there. But we want to be that church. We want to tackle through some of these issues. We want to be a church that is curious about faith, about ministry, and I'm curious about our mission of helping people come to know Jesus. And so as I close this morning, um, I just want to ask you a question. What are you curious about? What are you curious about? Can you, can you think of something right off, or, or would you say, you know, I think maybe I've lost a little sense of awe and wonder. What are you curious about? What question are you've been afraid to ask or have a long conversation about because you're afraid of what others might think or you're afraid of the answer that you might find. Here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is this week, ask that question. Find somebody to ask that question to. Grab coffee with a friend. Talk to your life group. Whatever you need to do, just ask the question and don't be afraid of the long conversation that might follow. And you might not get the answer that you were looking for, but it might very well be the thing that helps you grow in your relationship with God. It might be the thing that deepens your relationships with others in the church, and it might help you learn how to doubt towards faith instead of away from it. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for uh, this body of believers that gathered here this morning to, uh, to just look at what it means to be curious. Thank you that you are a God who values that and who encourages us to not give that up. And I think that's a, it's a different view than what a lot of people in the world that I've come across have of you. Most people view the church and, and religion and you as just being closed-minded and, um, and not being willing to have long conversations about stuff. But Lord, help us to be a church that, that holds on to your truth and we don't waver from that by any means, but that we're always looking for new ways to understand you and your grace and your love and how that reflects and is represented in the world around us. So God, help us to be a curious church in both sense of the word, to do things differently that most people go, ah, that's not what I understand church to be. We want to be that church. But we also want to be the church that values curiosity and questions and doubting towards faith. And that's messy. Huh, it's messy. And some people are scared by that. They, they want you and they want their church to be clean. But God, we don't want that. We want this to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to ask questions. Because I believe, Lord, that that's when our faith grows. That's when we know you better, and that's when we can help this world know you better as well. So may we never settle for anything less. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.